You're listening to the Sprint Hard Iterate Fast podcast, where we look inside the most innovative companies creating exciting new jobs. I'm your host, Reggie James, and I've worked with many startups, three I co-founded, two that scaled to employ hundreds of people. On the Sprint Hard Iterate Fast podcast, we're getting candid stories and trusted career advice from CEOs, CTOs, and product leaders who are building amazing teams right now. Want to learn how to stand out and be noticed by some of the top tech companies worldwide? Hang with me as I uncover the secrets of their success. Today, we are joined by Thomas Walkley, the co-founder and CEO of Aaron Living Technologies. Aaron Living Technologies is the fourth company Thomas has been involved in building from the ground up. Aaron Living Technologies is a residential experience company striving to enhance the lifestyle of residents and provide simple solutions to everyday problems. Aaron Living Technologies was recently the recipient of the Urban Developer Award of Excellence for Construction Innovation. Thomas, you've you've got a lot going on here. Four businesses. You've got a really exciting startup business right now. I saw last year you guys were raising funds. Can you tell us? Did I did I get that right? Did I nail that? Is that is that about right? Is that who you guys are? Is that what you're doing? Thanks for having me on, Reggie. Uh, absolutely, I think you you nailed it in one. Uh, you should be uh, promoting nice. our business out there with uh, an intro like that. So thank you. Um, yeah, we, we kind of bundle all that together into like a livability super app, which is the direction our business is naturally formed into. So uh, really answering that that resident and customer experience through our technology solution is uh, where our product and our business is heading. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good journey. It obviously resonates with everybody, you know, the, where they live and, and how they interact with their home is, is really important. So we see it as a really sort of common discussion point with a lot of people and something a lot, everyone we t- speak to has a lot of interest in. Very cool. Very cool. I, I really want to get into Aaron Living Technologies, what you're building, the team you're building, the market you're in. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about you. How did you get to where you are now? I think our, our listeners are, are they're going to be tech and they're going to be product people. They're going to be people who are thinking, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I also want to you know, get, you know know do better in my career. Can you tell us, like, how did you get to be where you are? Tell us about your journey a little bit. Uh, I spent sort of 15 years in the product uh, development sales industry before starting Air and Living Technologies. I was lucky enough to meet a co-founder that had a good idea of product and technology and how to piece it all together because I don't have that in my uh, wheelhouse at all. So I came with the sort of the industry knowledge and uh, probably just shows why it's really um, important to have a, a good co-founder that can fill the gaps that uh, you can't really. So, yeah, I had a really good, um, I call it an apprenticeship in the industry um, before starting and bring a lot of industry knowledge. The property industry is quite a wide sector, a lot of different stakeholders, uh, different property types, uh, different uses, different needs, different customer groups and segments. So uh, I brought the industry knowledge uh, to the business and uh, my business partner, Anthony, uh, leads our product and technology side of the business. Nice, very good. And so, so you're you said you kind of started off in an apprentice space. What did that look like? Kind of getting to a place where where now you're focused on on building technology. Like, what was that? You know, what was your kind of step by step? How did you get there? Yeah, look, I think in, naturally as an entrepreneur, you don't plan. I guess to jump into a startup and solve a problem. I think naturally it just forms out of identifying a key area or a key problem or a key gap in the market that you can fill. Um, I think true entrepreneurs are opportunistic and they see mm. uh, gaps where they can launch a product and obviously, you know, generate a, 
a healthy return uh, for their for their time and effort through uh, through it launching a business. So uh, yeah, I think I think naturally just working in the property industry, it was clear that people weren't getting the I guess the the level of uh, experience or service in these brand new apartment buildings that they were paying a lot of money for. So the opportunity to launch a product that really focuses on the consumer and the resident, their livability and the experience was there and uh, it was a big gap. And um, because of that, we, we get, got a lot of interest in what we're doing. Nice, nice. So if I'm thinking of your role as the chief executive officer, you've got to deal with problems with your team. You've got to deal with problems with the market. You've got competitors to think about. Um, you've got, you know, strategy that you're thinking about. There's, there's, a, there's a varied role and I imagine no day ever looks the same. I'm wondering if you could have told yourself one thing as a child that might prepare you for where you are today, what advice would you go back and tell yourself to say, hey, this is something you can use, you know, for your future? What would you tell yourself? Uh, be okay with doing the shit jobs for a long time. Ooh, talk, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. You take the role of CEO wanting to, you know, deliver a strategy, uh, to live it, you know, your product to market, to meet with stakeholders, customers, investors. Uh, and that's a small part of it in hindsight, especially in the early stages of a business. Uh, I think you've got to put out a lot of fires, you know, manage money, you know, read NDAs, you know, do all the um, the admin stuff, the, the pays. Like there's a lot of uh, low-level things that are very important that you need to do as a CEO. And you're right, no two days look the same. So uh, I actually look forward to the next phase of our business where, you know, we've got a bit more depth in, in different parts of our team that allows me to go and uh, focus on the areas of the business that I'd love to. But, yeah, it's um, – it's not all, as I say, sunshines and rainbows, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. Um, that's really interesting. And I think that's probably a really good kind of kind of nugget of wisdom for listeners that, you know, are starting something new. I think whether you're the, the founder, executive, or um, you're a part of it, just just the amount of, of, of work that you have to do that might not necessarily be the thing that you want to um, is really, really good and interesting advice. Let's, let's shift a little bit and talk a little bit more about Aaron Living. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your market and your industry and I guess how you fit into it and how you differentiate yourself from, from your competitors. I did see last year you guys were raising some funds and, and even in the kind of the, the collateral that was created for that, you talked about some, some people that were playing in that space um, you know, overseas. So I'd love to understand what is, what is your industry, what's the marketplace look like and how do you differentiate yourself from other competitors out there? That's a good question. I might answer it in two parts. Um, uh, locally, I think we're the only ones that have a really strong customer and resident focused focus. Um, there's a lot of different stakeholders in the property industry. Uh, many of our potential competitors focus on the operational workflow side of a business, um, the management facilities, the building, um, whereas we have a, a direct focus on the resident, um, their engagement, uh, how they interact with the, the building, the local areas. Um, so we really focus on that on that consumer and that's literally at the forefront of all our product uh, and marketing strategies within the business so i think that's a real clear differentiator between us and our um, competitors locally uh looking abroad uh to sort of the international landscape i don't necessarily see a lot of the international guys as competitors and they probably wouldn't uh with us as well uh, every property market 
around the world is is quite quite different. Um, there is crossover and similarities, but they do change a little bit. So uh, we talk about localization all the time. You really have to um, alter your product to suit new markets, especially if you want to deliver it the way that we are and as our international competitors are doing as well. So, and and they see it very differently. If, for example, in the in the US, they've half the properties in the apartment sector are multifamily, half are individually owned. For those of you that don't know, multifamily is when an institution or a company owns the whole of an apartment building and builds it for the purpose of, or owns it for the purpose of renting out uh, on a return. So it's the market in, in the States is about 50-50. And then obviously the other 50% is people, um, individual owners that own an apartment in a, in a whole complex. So it's very focused on, at an institutional level, driving high rents, great experiences, longer tenures, uh, because obviously institutional capital relies on getting higher returns for, for their investment. Bringing that back to Australia, less than 1% of our properties in Australia are uh, built to rent or multifamily and the rest are individually owned properties. So you don't have big businesses or institutions that are driving that sort of experience and the need to uh, generate a really high return and stand out amongst everyone else. So it's starting to take off here, but it's just property industry and development industry is a slow game. So, yeah, and that's probably one of the differences between us and the US, but a lot of the other markets are quite similar. They do have a lot more institutional capital uh, in their in their apartment space. You've got to remember, we've only really been developing apartments here for maybe 20-odd years. Back in the early 2000s, a lot of the apartments that were built were very student focused only students really lived in apartments and it was only you know a little while after that that they started building them for for you know larger um, larger complexes or people um, to to inhabit so yeah it's, it's quite a new market here within Australia as opposed to other markets so there is a clear differentiator between um, our, our market locally and those abroad yeah makes sense and and so kind of with all that in mind how how has the the market received what you're doing like what's the impact been so far what's the what's the market saying about what you guys are doing yeah look i think we're attraction now is really strong however when we launched our product to market um we were telling all the developers all the cool things that they could do there was a bit of pushback on whoa 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 we don't we don't innovate that fast here like kind of yeah okay you gotta unpack that a little bit for for me you know and um my sales director, Chris, uh, you could ask him, he'd probably say he felt like an educator for a good 12 or 18 months before he actually started to get a few contracts signed because we were taking quite a big leap in terms of you know what was offered in the marketplace. But technology is such an important component in the creation of any type of property these days. So, uh, But we don't just focus on new developments. We focus on older ones as well um, and how we can really evolve and adapt our technology and establish uh, apartment buildings and complexes as well. So what would be the split between some of the new developments and then also kind of retrofitting for, you know, some of the older buildings? What, you know, what's the split in terms of where you, where you focus? Yeah. I mean, f- focus at the moment is probably, you know, 75, 25 in favor of new developments. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. A uh, one, uh, a new development is a blank canvas. So the ability to kind of influence decision-making and change in there on a blank canvas is far easier than uh, an established building uh, that's already got sort of infrastructure and systems and processes in place and you're kind of changing what's what's already there. Um, you're also dealing with the owner's corporation committee, which have far different motivators than that of a property developer. So they're, they're, 
they're actually completely different strategies, marketing strategies and, and, and sales pitches to each group. So, um, and our product in, in, in all honesty, probably needs to improve in certain sectors to allow us to um, appease a lot more of those established buildings. But it's a, it's a constant, uh, it's a constant process and thing that we work on both in both, both segments. That's a really interesting one. It kind of brings me to a, another topic, which I'd love to chat to you about, which is, which is innovation. Like how do you guys, you know, approach experimentation and failure in your product development process? And I, I'm also curious to understand how you innovate, especially when you kind of mentioned that, you know, it, it is an industry where you can't introduce too much change too quickly. So how, how does that, how do you balance that? It's a good question. We have like different buckets of ideas and R&D projects, some that we know that customers want and the market wants and others that we want to try and test. And it's a it's a balance about, you know, using a bit of this and a bit of that uh, to kind of deliver on your product. Uh, if it was up to me, we'd be delivering all the things that we think as a business people should be using. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's not going to sell our product for those that have real life problems, right? So you need to have a good balance of both. Uh, going back to your question, uh, how do we go about experiencing? I think getting small customer groups to test and try certain things that we think are high value features uh, is really, really important. Um, no one no one innovates brand new ideas and products without actually putting it out there and, and just giving it a go, right? So I think there's a level of once you've got that really good close customer group, high engagement in in certain um, certain buildings with certain customers, you've got the ability to try a few things and you've got to be prepared to fail, know, knowing that you know the rest of your features are really high value and people are using them and liking them. So, it, timing is very important with how uh, you experiment uh, and the why as well. Speaking of, of failure, has there been a time where you you guys have faced any failures, you know, launching products where you've had to, to pivot quickly? Can you talk about what you did or how you would have addressed that? Yeah, look, I think we pivot all the time. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't say massively, but we did a lot of research before we launched our product. I'm talking like maybe two years. Um, yeah, I mean, wow. I always use Uber as an, as an example, right? Like, Uber didn't need to do two years of research. People always need to go from A to B and that's all they do, right? That's as simple as that. They've, yeah. They offer a great customer experience. It's a fantastic user experience, but it's just from A to B. The property industry is not like that. You can have a hundred people that live in an apartment building and have a hundred different needs and wants within that building and within a technology platform. So it's not as simple as just having a one size fits all. And I think that's why we, we pivot a lot on small sort of levels. Um, it's very customer led. The bigger the customer, you know, we want this, we see it as a high value feature. Can we build it once and sell it twice? Yes. Well, maybe we should, we should bump the roadmap for these types of things. So, you have to have a flexible roadmap. You have to pivot where the customers want. And a lot of the time, things that customers ask for or they ask you to do if they sign, you're already thinking about anyway. It's just now you've got someone that's adopting that idea and they like it. And we've already hopefully done quite a bit of progression with our, our product direction on a certain um, aspect or feature. So, yeah, we do have to pivot all the time. Um, and that's just the nature of it. We're very integration heavy as well. So uh, changing the status quo of a business with all the different operating systems uh, is not the best way to scale a business. You need to work within uh, an ecosystem of systems and a current tech stack. So uh, we see ourselves integrating a lot and that probably leads to a lot of the pivoting that we do. 
Nice. Very cool. I want to talk a little bit about um, the business that you're building, knowing that this is the the fourth business that you've been involved with from the ground up. Um, interested to know a little bit about how you go about building that from from a team perspective. Some some things I've I've seen about you that you've talked about is is setting out to build a team of talented individuals who truly believe in what you're creating. I, I love to know, um, you know what what how would you describe um, the, the the culture and and kind of the 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 business, you know, from, from the people perspective that you're building at Aaron Living Technologies? Yeah, look, I mean, we've been in business now for, for three years. Uh, product's been live for maybe two and a half. I think um, when you're in your early stages, building a team culture is super important. Uh, I think finding passionate people is, is really important as well. Um, you need the people that are really going to uh, get stuck into that 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 product and and you know sell it with you know um, you know wearing it on the sleeve kind of uh, attitude. So it's really important to get passion into individuals, and then I think the passion just resonates with others when when they come and join. Um, culture is is really important. I think it's even more important than skill early on. Um, you can have your little bumps and and that and support your staff through challenges and issues and, and progress them as well. But having that right culture fit and the passion uh, when they join the business when you're as uh, early stages especially is, is super important. As you as you build out a team, you can kind of fill the gaps if they're, they're not as passionate but they're extremely skillful. You know, you, you know, if you've got one or two that are unpassionate, it, it doesn't matter so much because everyone else is. So it's just having the right right balance. But early on, um, yeah, passion is, is very important with, with, with the way that, we have hired in the past. And because of that, we have a really, really, really good culture. That's really cool. Uh, on the Sprint Heart Iterate Fast podcast, we always like to create some space or an opportunity for you to, to shout out somebody. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, is there any employee or any team member that's played a key role in shaping the company culture or driving growth that you would, you know, openly recognize? Good question. There's probably two that spring spring to mind, and they were two of our earlier hires. Um, our sales director, Chris, uh, who was our, our first hire in the business. Um, you know, executing our or leading our get to market strategy and, and taking our product to market was always going to be a full time job. And I knew that there was a lot of things that I would have to be doing as CEO of the business. So, uh, hiring him early on and getting him to really take our product to market uh, was was really important. Uh, he's extremely passionate, loves the industry. Um, he lived through a lot of the issues and problems uh, that we solved uh, coincidentally before uh, we approached him to join the team. So uh, he was extremely uh, and has been an extremely important person for our business. And yeah, he's, he's again, passion speaks volumes with with what we're doing. And uh, yeah, he's, he's super, um, super important to our business. On the other side of the fence, uh, another lady that we hired, Sarah, early on, uh, she's our uh, UX UI product designer. Uh, mm. She's extremely, extremely diligent and comprehensive in the way that we bring our product to market, the way it's designed. Um, she's really big on uh, customer experience, user experience within the platform. So, uh, having her passion for UX design and product design uh, really shows we we have an amazing looking product. Um, people love the look and feel of it and the way they interact with it. We're a premium product and solution in the market as well. So uh, having her passion at a product level 
uh, resonates with Chris's passion at a sales level, but a very different personality. So looking at both end of the uh, spectrums, both have the passion for each area in, in common. And because of that, we have a really good get to market strategy and people leaving that as well as our product team. That's really, really cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm catching a really strong theme there that I think will be really interesting for, for listeners, which is having a passion for, you know, what, what, what the company that you want to be a part of is doing, um, having a passion for the product, having a passion for um, the problem space. Can you talk to us a little bit about how do you how do you find that in the market? How do you find people who are passionate about what you're doing? Like, what how does that show up in your search process and in your interview process to say, okay, this person is someone that we want to bring on because they're clearly passionate? Like, how do you how do you go about doing that? Yeah, look, I think um, it's really hard to hire people off a couple of interviews. So uh, myself and my business partner always have a mentality that someone said, always be hiring. So we get to know people well and truly a long time before uh, we bring them into the business. And I think uh, look, myself and my business partner barely took a wage or any money out of the business for a good three-year period. Um, we both have a lot of other things going on in their personal lives as well. Um, to get up at stupid hours of the morning and, and rock up to work each day and and do what we do for no money for a lot of time, you have to have the passion yourself. Like it starts, it starts from there. Mm. So, and if you don't have that, you have you've got no chance of succeeding. In in my my honest opinion, um, that has to that has to start from somewhere, and that that is generally at the top. So I think when you're very passionate about what you're doing when you're speaking to people that you might want to bring into your business and, and hire to work for your company, you can see the passion uh, that they could have for, for your product. And um, I think you pick up on those things easier if you've got those qualities in yourself. So um, yeah. And again, the more time you spend with someone, you can pick up on those, those types of things. We probably hired only a third of our people based off recruitment or CVs and the rest were just people that were referred to us or that we, that we knew would work with previously. So you generally need good instinct as well. I think that's like a key mm. uh, key element of success as well when, when early on. Um, I, I don't think we've made a bad hire um, in our business, which is a testament to our, our instinct with people. So, um, yeah, it's it's super important. But, yeah, going back to your question, you've got to have the passion, I think, to begin with if you're going to hire passionate people. That's fantastic. Really, really cool. Um as we close out here, I always ask kind of three key questions, and I think probably this will probably extend from what we were just talking about with passion. But what what three pieces of advice would you have for anyone who wanted to uh, apply and work for Aaron Living Technologies? What what three things could you tell them to help them stand out and be noticed by you? Right, well, it would be silly if I didn't mention passion as the number one. Passion. Um, yeah, uh, passion. Again, as we scale our business, so um, uh, skill obviously comes into it as well. But I'm, I'm going to lead with passion because I think if you're passionate for any job that you're going for, any employer, uh, it speaks volumes. I think team mentality is good. You know, we, we look at breaking up our team in time into different squads, um, uh, sales teams, account management teams. You're always going to be working with other people. And I think those two things, passion and team mentality, are really high up there on the priority list. Uh, the other thing I would probably mention is identify your weaknesses. Showing vulnerability to someone that you want to work for, no one does that. Everyone tells everyone how good they are, right? 
um, you should never hire someone based off their CV because uh, you don't really see too many bad things identified or weaknesses identified on a CV. But actually telling a potential employer where you see your weaknesses mm. are and things you want to learn, learn, I would actually put that person really high up the list. Um, even like when I started this business, I'd never be the CEO of a technology business, right? So I, I, I gave myself the title as my business partner did was chief product officer and both sitting in shoes that neither of us had filled before. You've got to be, you've got to be prepared to fail. You know that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn as you go. We knew our weaknesses. Um, we filled each other's, which was good, which um, is, is great. Uh, and that's why it's good to be in a team mentality. If you're really strong in one area and you tell your, your, your upcoming or incoming employer that I'm really strong in these areas, but if you have another team member that's strong in, in the areas that I'm weak in, we, we'd make a good team. Like I think that's really powerful. So I think it's good to highlight your weaknesses uh, at a job interview and I'd be hiring that person over someone that told me all the great things that they're good at and that they're literally perfect. That's fantastic advice and um, something I haven't heard yet. And I think certainly being able to identify where you're weak and 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 showing that vulnerability um, is incredible advice. So passion, teamwork, and showing some vulnerability about where you um, where where you're not the strongest, where you've got some weaknesses to improve on, uh, Thomas. I really want to thank you for your time. Uh, you provided us with some some really rich insights that I think is going to be really valuable to our listeners and really exciting to to see and hear what you guys are doing at Aaron Living Technologies. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to continuing following your journey. Thanks for being on the show today. No worries. Thanks for having me on. See you, Reggie. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sprint Hard Iterate Fast podcast. You can find this episode's show notes and additional resources on www.beakerandflint.com. As a bonus, for the first 100 people to subscribe and leave a review, I'm giving away copies of my new book, Scale Up Culture. Scale Up Culture will give you a leg up in your career by showing you how fast-growing tech companies are building their teams. Stay tuned for more episodes on Melbourne's Tech Mavericks, 10 companies shaking up their industries in 2023.